That, that was definitely not the welcome I was expecting. Look, it's, it's so good to be here on the uh, last night of annual conference. And I'll just get that side down. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Paddy. I'm one of the staff workers with the EU. And uh, if, yeah, thanks. If you're in first year, if you're in first year, then I've been working with the EU before you started school. So that'll give a bit of an idea of how long I've been around. Um, really great that you can uh, be with us this evening. And one of the things that I hope you appreciate is that over this week, we've heard of stories of spirit-led revival, both here in Australia and around the world. We've been reminded and challenged to proclaim Jesus to Sydney University campus. And we've heard last night of the great need of the LRLR and how we can be gospel generous. See, as we heard last night, the encouragement to be generous towards the LRLR is a broad, all-encompassing arc, encompassing the whole globe. Now, tonight, we're going to consider within that broad arc a subset, and that particular subset is the great need for more gospel workers, both to the LRLR and for all over the world. As a heads up, towards the conclusion of this talk, I'm going to ask us all to consider what role we will end up playing in God's harvest field, including the opportunity to make the EU Send Me commitment, a commitment to be sent as a gospel worker into God's global harvest field. Just letting you know so it won't be a surprise when we get to the end. So let's pray. Father God, as we turn now to your word, convict us by your spirit of your great truths. Grow our hearts after yours for the salvation of the lost and the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you turn with me to page 62 of your Ancon booklets? We might need some lights. That's good. Now I can actually see you. That's good. Huh? And if you've got your Bible open, all of the passages printed there in the book, we're working from Luke chapter 10, verses 1 to 3 for the evening. I'm going to read the text for us. Luke 10, verses 1 to 3. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So how is it that Jesus sees the harvest field? Well, unsurprisingly, he sees his world through kingdom eyes. And he likens what he sees to harvest time. A metaphor that I think many of us might fail to understand because, as I've been told, harvesting grain is not quite as easy as just sort of wandering through the field and plucking all the heads of grain off. No, actually, the knowledgeable and experienced harvest, harvester would know just the right time to harvest because different types of crops ripen in different time frames. They would know the correct tools and harvesting techniques used to ensure a great and bumper crop. And the process of drying and winnowing and threshing the seed heads so that the grains themselves can be separated from the stalks were both a skill and an art. Now, a friend of mine owns a fairly large wheat and barley farm in rural New South Wales, and he tells me that when the grain is ripe, you have a short window in which 
to just work full on, literally 24 hours a day. I think the record he said was 32 hours straight of driving a tractor. You just have to get the grain in before it spoils or before the weather changes. See, once the harvest is ripe, it needs to be harvested and there's an urgency about it. See, just as the intelligent and experienced farmer knows just when the harvest is ready, Jesus looks out on his world through kingdom eyes and sees a great harvest of people waiting to be saved. Not just a small handful, but like great strands, stands of grain stretching as far as the eye can see, multitudes ready for salvation. <coughs> Jesus recognises the season for harvesting is now. <coughs> People are ready to receive the kingdom. <coughs> ready to receive Jesus as the Son sent by the Father. Yet despite this great harvest standing ready, we're told that there is a lack of harvest workers. So what's the solution? See, earlier Jesus, in Luke 9, had sent out the 12. They'd gone from village to village, proclaiming the kingdom and healing the sick. And now Jesus, echoing the 72 elders appointed for leadership by Moses in the nation of Israel, appoints another 72 from among the community to now go and follow the apostles. They too go in preparation for the arrival of Jesus to the towns where he's planning on going. See, Jesus sees the world through kingdom eyes the vast plenty that awaits harvesting, and the scarcity of workers. So he declares a solution, the need for more workers in his harvest field. Now you might think the illustration is somewhat unusual, but it was common practice in the first century for people to work as day labourers. Now, some of you may work as day labourers, you only work on a Saturday, for example. But it was common in the first century that your complete employment was day labouring. You waited every day in a particular place, often in the marketplace, for someone to come by and say, I need this number of workers to do this task and this is how much I will pay you. If you recall, Jesus tells a parable about it. See, as the name suggests, they were employed on a highly casualised basis, day to day, and the landowners who they worked for often meant that the work conditions were very difficult, very hard. And they re really only worked until the harvest was brought in. So the offer to work in Jesus' harvest field was a concept easily understood and wisely and widely experienced. As such, notice here in Luke 10 verses 1 to 4, we read that Jesus makes two specific commands. Notice what the first command is. The first command given is to ask that a greater workforce will be provided. Jesus commands his followers to pray for more harvest workers. And I take it not just any workers, but workers with a particular attitude. Those workers who will do the Lord's work, the task of seeing others come into the kingdom. They will work in the Lord's harvest field, for it is the Lord's crop to harvest. And they will work using the Lord's resources and tools. So Jesus' first command... Ask the Lord for more workers. The second command made was to go. Do you see there in the text? And in the immediate context, Jesus sends out the 72 
to go to the villages in a work of preparation to proclaim and prepare for his arrival. Jesus seeks workers for his harvest field and they need to be willing to work in his field, bring in his harvest, use the resources he gives them and work until the harvest has been gathered in. Manually harvesting grain, so I'm told, is really hard work. Back-breaking, laboursome work. It's difficult. It's done under challenging conditions. You mowing the lawn, maybe once a year for your parents, is not the same with an electric lawnmower, is not the same as manually trying to harvest a great field of wheat. So too is the work that Jesus is expecting as he sends out the 72. It will be hard challenging. In both the sending of the 12 and the sending of the 72, we see here that the task of working in the Lord's harvest field is like what in verse 4? Being sent as lambs among wolves. See, just because Jesus is Lord doesn't mean that the work done on his behalf will be easy. It is the bringing in of the kingdom. The kingdom has not yet reached its consummation. Rather, as the kingdom grows, it pushes up against the powers and the plans of the devil and encounters strong resistance. Being sent, in this case, means being exposed to danger, to ridicule, to hardship and possible death. Yet in spite of this, the first groups of Jesus' followers, the 12 and the 72, respond in obedience in their going. So what then is an appropriate response for other followers of Jesus upon hearing these words? Sitting behind Jesus' command to ask and go lies, I think, this question. Do you see the world as Jesus sees the world? Do you see the world through kingdom eyes? Musa gave us a great illustration on Tuesday night, which I happened to be part of. Do you remember? Apparently all he saw was ink blots on the page. But when I lent him a pair of my glasses, suddenly clarity. Musa, if you haven't been to the optometrist, maybe next week. (laughs) It's the same with us. How do we see the world? Do we see the world through kingdom eyes? That's the way Jesus sees the world. See, for the way in which we see and understand the world will deeply affect the response to Jesus' commands to both ask and to be sent as harvest workers. So the first question I want to ask here around this idea of asking is how prayerful are you when it comes to global gospel workers? See, rightfully, rightly seeing the world ought to grow our prayerfulness for the world in which we live. In growing our prayerfulness, we'll likewise alter the way in which we see the world. Maybe you can ask in question time of Rowan which one you think comes first. But do you notice the feedback loop? The more we pray for global workers, the more we see the world through the kingdom eyes, the more we'll be encouraged and convicted to pray for harvest work and so on and so on and so it continues. So how aware are you of the state of the world? Through kingdom eyes. Not through future employment prospects overseas but just through kingdom eyes. And how prayerful are you of the world's 
gospel needs. I don't know what your response was when we did the little exercise earlier when you looked at the number of gospel workers needed. I intentionally chose some of the most unreached places. I did that on purpose. Because the numbers are in the hundreds. Uh, the group that I was with in my uh, PNR group, we were in a particular part of the world, particular people group, 650, I think, was the number of gospel workers. Now, that's almost just a little bit bigger than the total number of people in this room, right? If you read the Joshua Project information carefully, you would note that they're basing it on a 1 to 50,000 people ratio. Do you feel how unreached these people are? The size of your church with the number of pastors there. And if all of us went just to that one people group, we still wouldn't have enough. And by the way, we would each be sent to try and reach 50,000 people. No wonder the Lord commands us to ask, to pray. So how aware are you of the state of the world and how prayerful are you of its gospel needs? Perhaps, like me, sometimes you struggle to pray for more harvest workers. And there may be a couple of reasons for this. It may be because you just don't see or feel the great need for others to hear the gospel of grace that as followers of Jesus we've already heard and received. Do as you walk down Eastern Avenue in the middle of the day, assuming there's some other people on campus, which God willing there will be next semester. Do you feel the desperate plight of nearly all of the students who you walk past? That the vast majority of them are out of relationship with Jesus? Or you might not be persuaded that more harvest workers are actually required. Surely we have enough, you might say. You might not be persuaded that people need to be sent. Won't the local people be better suited and equipped for the task? Or maybe you just struggle to pray generally. There may be lots of reasons that prevent us from being more committed and fervent in prayer, particularly with regard to the raising up of future harvest workers. But sometimes maybe we don't want to pray that prayer for more harvest workers because we're just a little bit fearful that God might make us the answer to that prayer. See, when we fail to see the world through a kingdom lens, it may be an explanation as to why we fail to pray for more harvest workers. Our lack of prayerfulness may be a very clear and confronting diagnosis that we don't yet quite see the world as Jesus would want us to see the world. So from tonight, what will you decide to do under God to be prayerful in the raising up of more harvest workers? What will you decide to do? Brothers and sisters, let's ask for God's help to have our eyes open to see the world and grow our prayerfulness for the lost. Will you pray with me? Lord of the harvest, we confess that we've not always been obedient to your command to pray for more harvest workers. Forgive us. Father God, please grow in us a clearer understanding of the need for more global gospel workers. Please grow our heart to be like yours, a heart that yearns to see the lost saved and brought into your kingdom. Please raise up many more workers for your harvest field for the sake of those who are perishing. Amen. We're going to watch a video now. Uh, it's a video of a number of ex-EUers who are now gospel workers. And it's worth just noting that these interviews were filmed last year during COVID.
how we can fill our days talking to people about Jesus is what we're keen to Um, yeah, so I'm Anna, I'm married to James Beaver, we're at the moment we're both at Bible College, um, keen to just do ministry in some capacity in whatever, however we can fill our days talking to people about Jesus is what we're keen to do, but particularly trying to think about and shooting for overseas and we'll see where we land. Uh, yeah, I'm Simon, I'm married to Jessica, we've been married for 12 and a half years. Uh, we currently live in Bardi, which is right down in the heel of the, the boot that is Italy, uh, so right down south. Uh, we are currently working with the GBU, which is the Italian uh, affiliated IFES group, the Gruppi Biblici Universitari. Uh, we're the staff workers for our region, for the city of Bari and also for another city. Yeah, so um, I'm Emily, I'm married to Samuel. Um, he was a Howie um, last year and this year. Um, we live in uh, the inner west of Sydney and are part of Village Church in Annandale and currently um, we are preparing to serve uh, in overseas ministry in Portugal with the mission organisation European Christian Mission and that is off the back of um, working part-time as a pharmacist for a little while and studying at Sydney Missionary Bible College and before that um, being a Howie for a couple of years and before that uh, being a pharmacy student at Sydney Uni and a part of the EU. If you told first year Emily that in 10 years she's going to be going to Portugal to serve in university ministry there, I would just be like, who are you talking about? I don't know who this person is. And it happened at that year at annual conference, 2007, a guy called Andrew Lubbock was one of the missionaries in residence. Uh, you may know him, I don't know. Uh, he's a great guy and he, at the time, was doing the job I'm now doing uh, in Florence with the GBU and he had come to Anklin, who's Michel in residence, he was sharing a bit about the GBU, about Italy and I was also studying Italian uh, at, at uni, it was one of the things, I did an engineering and arts degree and Italian was my arts major and so uh, I went along to the seminars that Andrew ran and he very quickly spied that I could understand some of the Italian that was on his videos and stuff and he if you know him, he's quite an intense guy. And at the end of one seminar, he just sort of put his hand on my shoulder and said, brother, have you ever thought about using this gift of language to serve God in Italy? Um, at that point, I was, you know, I had no idea. I'd never thought about that. And I went, uh, no. Um, but that was a seed, I think, that, that really got planted there because we then went to India. Sort of my eyes were a bit open to the nature of serving God overseas in a culture that really doesn't know the gospel at all. The liberating truth that um, I am in right relationship with God is something that over time um, in the EU, as I got plugged into a local church, God uh, grew my desire to want to share that with other people. Um, and particularly in the EU, just the, the focus of the less reach and the less resource, you know, I, I became aware of, of countries and places where billions of people haven't heard of the name Jesus. And that to me was just mind blowing. You know, you can't unhear the need. <laughs> when you hear the needs of the gospel, you can't ignore that. And so I went to uni, studied primary school teaching, and my time in the EU was just a really growing time where I got encouraged to do evangelism. I learned and understood the Bible deeper uh, and 
grew like a really good Christian community in France around me, which was great. And that's been really formational as well. Um, and I think the staff that were there had a massive impact on me while I was there, including you. Um, and I think just be just challenging and asking questions of what I want to do with my time and life and helping me plan things out in a way that I couldn't really see and understand the future. But just being like, oh, well, you could do this, this and this and that could lead to here. That was really helpful just to give me a bit of a pathway. Um, but I think at the time at uni, I actually wasn't really convinced I was going to do that pathway. <laughs> but I think in the, like I then taught for three years, um, still loved doing church stuff and sharing the gospel with people at work. Um, but I think, you know, I could tell you four hours of stories. But I think in the end, I was like, I just want, would, it would be such a privilege to spend 90% of my week getting to talk to people about Jesus rather than fitting in around math classes. And and so when I graduated from uni, uh, the, the Howie program was something that uh, I was encouraged to think about because I already had this idea that maybe God was wanting me to go to Italy to do student ministry and so a few older wiser people said look if you want to do student ministry over there why don't you try and do it here you know I know that I'm more of an introverted person um, and I thought oh to be in ministry you have to be an extroverted person and always like charismatic and love up the front stuff whereas I just prefer to be in the crowd listening <laughs> to be honest but actually I think yeah I, I can see how God had used it does use um, uh, my perhaps quite quite a nature of thoughtfulness and ability to to get alongside people in a non-intimidating way and be able to uh, bring bring God's word a bit God's word to bear in their lives. And I can and Celia ran this workshop that was um, about the LRR. I know I like I'd signed an LRR pledge, so the LRR was like a new thing to me. But I think hearing how unfair the distribution of missionaries is, like so many missionaries are being sent to places that are already reached, just made me be like, what's with that? Like, and I just think, and James and I at the moment are just like, you know what, like we've been given so much, we've been given so much good training, like we can think of 5,000 excuses and we still, like, we're not there yet. We could still chicken out in the next few years and be like, ah, <laughs> too hard. But I think, like, at the moment we're kind of like, nothing's stopping us from doing it. And so if not us, why not? Like, and there's heaps of things that are scary and, like, we're having a kid now that I'm kind of just like, that's like, you've got so many things to, like, factor in. Learning a language, I'm like, not excited about but I kind of think you know what like there's just so there's millions and millions and billions of people who don't know Jesus and don't have access to him. I think often in in Asian culture uh, expression of love is through uh, my parents going through incredible sacrifices um, in order to ensure that I've received a great education so I get a respectable degree to get a well-paid job in order to live a comfortable and secure life. And I think for them to have seen me over time as I've been at Howie, studied at Bible College and now going to Portugal, I think for them to see me head in a direction that 
is not what they would ever choose for me has been really difficult for them and in turn really difficult for me because it's hard for them. I mean, I think the obvious cost really is people. Um, it's the cost that we still feel most deeply. Um, maybe especially now that international travel is a pipe dream like it once was not. Um, but we feel the fact that our kids haven't seen their grandparents in quite a long time. Uh, and that we have dear friends in Sydney who we've not seen in a very long time. And we have whole networks of friends and family and, and church family that just we're not part of. Yeah, certainly. It's been hard, <laughs> just as an opener, it's been hard. And it's certainly been uh, something that has happened over time and through lots of prayer. And I think my natural tendency in my upbringing has been to, to veer towards those things which bring comfort and security, you know, and it's something like a pharmacy job. It's, it's comfortable, it's secure, it's well-respected, you know. And so I think... Um, this is, you know, for some people, it might not be a big deal to leave whatever job they had. But for, for me, I think that's particularly, it's been particularly hard given my mentality and upbringing. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think it has involved a lot of intentional prayer that God might, asking God to help me to loosen my attachment to my work and my profession as a pharmacist. And I praise God that over many years, he has helped me to hold on to it much looser. So the question we need to ask is, do you see the world as Jesus sees the world? Do you see the world through a kingdom lens? Now, you may have noticed that the original 12 that were sent out in the 72 are no longer with us today, right? And so as we read through the New Testament... One of the things that we start to see is that future harvest workers are raised up from among the followers of Jesus, in just the same way that the 12 and the 72 were sent out from the followers of Jesus. And each subsequent generation also raises up the next generation. It's a responsibility that those who are sent will also then seek to raise the next generation. And this is what the EU has been seeking to do over many decades and continues to do today. So what might it look like to go into Jesus' harvest field? If you're turning your Bibles back to Luke 9, we're given a very brief introduction as to what Jesus expects of all of his followers, all those who follow him. In Luke 9, verses 23 to 26, we see that it involves, for all of Jesus' followers, a denial of the desires of the self a willingness to put to death the earthly desires of accumulating wealth and not being ashamed of Jesus. Verses 46 to 50, we see it involves putting aside earthly ambition for public recognition and a willingness to be least among others. Finally, in verses 57 to 62, the costliness of following Jesus is often born within those relationships that we would hold dearest, our own families. Such is the priority and importance of declaring the kingdom of God. So the question we need to keep asking ourselves, is this how you see being a follower of Jesus? If not, then hear again the call tonight to become a follower of Jesus. 
Tonight, like every night at Ancon, is a great night to hear and receive the invitation to be part of God's family. But it might also be a great night for some of us who think we're followers of Jesus but need to keep working on these particular areas of life. See, if you're not following Jesus according to his expectations, then why would you expect that Jesus will send you into his harvest work? See, those who are sent into the harvest field see the world through a kingdom lens. They're actively following Jesus and they're willing to labour in that task of proclaiming Jesus as the Saviour King. So I take it that when you're proclaiming the gospel with the hope and expectation that God has prepared for salvation, the great stand of grain, that they might positively respond, then you're labouring in God's harvest field. So when you spend a week away on beach mission or a crew camp, and you're out there proclaiming the gospel to the kids. When you go on an end-of-year EU mission to a local church and you go door-knocking to declare the gospel, when you're actively seeking to share your faith with your non-Christian family, friends and classmates, I take it in those seasons of life we can say you are participating as a harvest worker in God's field. So then, are all Christians workers in God's harvest field? Yes, potentially they are. Let me try and give you an example. I hope you'll bear with me as a middle-aged bike rider. (laughs) I want to ask the question, what does it take to be a cyclist? Okay, I've made the claim over many years to be a cyclist, right? But what does that actually mean? Does it mean to own a great bike? To have all the right equipment? To wear the Lycra, definitely, right? And your favourite team's jersey? to have an account on Strava, to watch which is better, the Giro or the Tour. Now, all of these things may be true of cyclists, and I personally have and have done all of these things, but does it make me a cyclist? Well, what if I suggested to you that this photo that was taken many, many years ago was me? Would you be more persuaded that I was a cyclist? See, how can I claim to be a cyclist if I never ride my bike? And just to clear up any confusion, sadly, that is not me in the photo. (laughs) As much as I would have loved it to have been. How can you claim to be a cyclist if you never ride your bike? I take it in the same way that to be a cyclist means you actually need to get on the bike and ride it at some point. To be a worker in God's harvest field means you actually need to do the work that Jesus commands of workers in the harvest field. See, more harvest work needs to be done. Jesus has a workforce ready and waiting, all of his followers. That's you and me, that's us. He offers us the opportunity to work in his harvest field. The question is, are you willing? See, under God, what might be possible from among all of us if God were to bless our labours in his field? So I want to encourage you, if you've never engaged in proclaiming the kingdom, then second semester mission will be a great opportunity for us to do that together. If you've been taking a break, perhaps, from doing kingdom work, perhaps because you've been working in other harvest fields, maybe you've just been doing lots of other different types of work, why not step back into Jesus' harvest field and labour alongside others who are seeking to save the lost? Now, there's going to be lots of temptations against stepping into the harvest field 
which you're going to need to identify and work through with your friends, fellow EUers and your staff workers. The fear of ridicule or mild persecution, perhaps. The feeling of being unskilled or wanting maybe that you won't do it perfectly. The distractions of entertaining ourselves with other things. The desire for success in other areas of life. So will, we now, will you now pray with me that God might grant us a great help in this task? That we might be willing to commit to step into his harvest field? Let's pray. Father God, please convict us of the great need for more harvest workers in your field. In saving us in Jesus and giving us your spirit, thank you for equipping us for this great task. Please, we pray, give us a spirit of boldness to actively proclaim your kingdom to those who are lost. Amen. Now, for some among us, as we labour in Jesus' harvest field, there will come a growing willingness, a desire and a conviction to want to do more work in Jesus' harvest field. I take it that as that trajectory continues, the question might rightly arise, what might it look like to work in Jesus' harvest field as a gospel worker? To be spending many more hours in the week seeking to save the lost, to be willing to forego other forms of employment and being financially supported by others in God's family. Because of the EU's kingdom vision, we are keen to encourage and urge all those who are willing and suitably qualified to consider offering themselves as gospel workers. Some might say vocational ministers. The world needs more gospel workers. And we believe that we in the EU are uniquely placed to make a significant contribution to the needs of the world. So might this be you? Four key areas to think about. Firstly, are you someone who understands and is growing in your recognition of gospel needs and opportunities that are before you? For there are billions who do not yet know Jesus and many places, especially the LRLR, where you could be sent. Secondly, do you recognise the freedom you have in Christ to make genuine God-honouring choices about the type of work you will undertake and the extent of work that you will do in Jesus' harvest field? Recognise that all Jesus' followers, if working in the harvest field and if willing, have the freedom to consider becoming a gospel worker. So why not think prayerfully and seriously about it over the years to come? Now, the decision to not pursue being a full-time gospel worker, made with a clear conscience, does not in any way mean you are a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. See, if you labour occasionally or full-time in the harvest field, this is not an indication of your standing before God. You have genuine choice about becoming a gospel worker, so why not exercise that decision-making free from guilt and obligation? One small caveat. If in your decision-making you resist becoming a gospel worker and you do feel an ongoing sense of guilt about this, then in some cases it may be because God's Spirit is actually working in you, producing godly guilt to keep directing you perhaps to a different decision. Third area of consideration. Are you willing to sacrifice much of the opportunities, privileges and prestige of the world in stewarding your abilities and energy for the service of Jesus? The world offers much and we, brothers and sisters, 
are well-placed to grasp much of it. Instead, not why, instead, why not be a fool in the world's eyes for the cause of the gospel and use all of your abilities that God has endowed you with in full-time service of Him? And fourthly, might you be prepared to be dependent upon the provision of God through others for your basic daily needs? Being prepared to trust that God is a good provider. And as a gospel worker, you'll be neither rich nor poor, but always provided for by Him through the generosity of God's people. Final consideration, are you willing to consider being a gospel worker? The path will most likely be difficult, challenging, with spiritual and emotional struggle along the way. Your decisions will cause heartache and rejection. You will appear a fool before others in your profession. But you will be comforted in the sure and certain knowledge that you are serving King Jesus as you labour full-time in shepherding God's people and calling people to trust and follow Him. See, Jesus offers the opportunity for all His followers to be workers in His harvest field. And within the EU, we're keen to help you work out what that role might be. As we've seen in the video, and if you read the EU's history book, many have gone before you on this track of committing to be full-time gospel workers. Wouldn't it be a wonderful, joyful, inspiring thing if we saw a great flood of full-time gospel workers being sent with the gospel out into the world? What might it look like for you? Now, turn with me on, I think it's, uh, what page? The Send Me Commitment on, on the page in your Ancon booklet. Right at the beginning, I said this is what we're going to do at the end, and we're nearly at the end. For a number of years now, we've been encouraging EUers who have been prayerfully considering being a gospel worker and are willing and keen to make the Send Me Commitment. It's there on the screen, it's in the booklet, um, page whatever it is. Under God, I commit myself to being a gospel worker in God's global harvest field. This commitment recognises that you're serious about being a gospel worker and enables us to walk with you for a season to advise you, to train you, to equip you and to seek to prepare you for whatever season of ministry might be next. Now, if you've been convicted over the course of this week and from what you hear in the pages of Scripture, if you've been convicted that tonight is the night for you to make that commitment, then I want to give you the opportunity to do that now. You might like to take a minute to just spend time praying. If you'd like to offer yourself in Jesus' service as a gospel worker, can I encourage you to make that commitment? Now, in the booklet, there's a, a, a page you can go to on the EU website. And if you want to do that, I'm going to get you to do that in the quietness, just where you're sitting, grab out your phone, go to the website and make that commitment. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. As we've seen this week, the need and opportunity for more to hear the gospel is great. And you have genuine freedom, brothers and sisters, in deciding how you will serve. So are you willing to sacrifice the opportunities, privileges and prestige of the world? And steward your God-given abilities and energy for full-time service of Jesus. Will you go? Will you be the answer 
to prayers that people may have been praying for decades, as we heard on Monday night, and it may have now even gone for glory. For all of us, as we increasingly see the world through kingdom eyes, I take it we'll take greater responsibility to be involved in the raising up of future gospel workers, through perhaps being sent ourselves, encouraging others to go, or supporting gospel workers through sacrificial financial giving, and for all of us, praying that Jesus would raise up more gospel workers for his harvest field. So, brothers and sisters, in what ways will you participate in Jesus' great harvest field?